0: Welcome to the Psychology of Case Management podcast, a show that helps you use psychological ideas to strengthen your relationship with your catastrophically injured clients and their professional network, so you can achieve more for your clients and feel more fulfilled in your role. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to the first episode of this third series of the Psychology of Case Management podcast. With me, Dr. Shabnam Berry-Khan, case manager and clinical psychologist at PsychWorks Associates. It's also a solo episode today, which as you know, um, if you've followed me in the past, um, I do sometimes do. But on this occasion, it's mainly because I couldn't decide how to kick off the series. Do I talk about the new year and what that might mean to you? Do I talk about something heavy like CUC or privilege? Since these are hot topics at the moment, certainly for me they are. Or do I keep in therapeutic mode and share some ways to support clients um, as I've done in the past? Having listened to a few other podcast episodes and noticing how they have started a new series usually after Christmas, I can see that the, the classic themes were pre- was prevalent. You know, it's new beginnings, it's refreshed start, new you, so on and so forth. And they're all really relevant, but I just, I just wasn't convinced that I'd be able to produce anything new or exciting that you wouldn't have heard before. And as you know, this podcast is all about different perspectives on familiar themes within the personal injury world. So I'm inspired instead to talk about something that is really important to me in the work I do and is derived from my psychology training, obviously, but also something I feel is massively helpful in the work I do as a case manager too. And I got the idea for this episode partly because I have found myself in a business owner position of needing to go back to my business plan, which is the underpinning of the whole service I run. But it also came from a more personal level where I feel I needed to return back to my emerging values, some of which I've shared in previous episodes. So the underpinning of me, if you like. And it's also about the quality of the work me and my team produce and how we know we're getting it mostly right which is the underpinnings of the clinical inputs we provide. I guess this is a review of sorts in that sense, but more a question to you to ask yourself what you do and and to, to hear what and for me to share what I do. I'm struck more and more by what we do in the personal injury world and how it needs to make sense and that there's a lot of information that we need to make sense of. Our clients have stories pre-injury and post-injury that play out in the work we do and the way they relate to rehabilitation and adjustment. Their families will see those same stories, obviously, in their own way, which explains perhaps the relationship they have with the client, but also provides some insight into what might be more objectively, what might have been going on. Um, Care and therapy teams will have their own angle that produces data and observations and opinions Um, and of course the legal teams will want to know how to make sense of all the relevant bits amongst all the noise so they can strategize and do their role as best they can do. And case managers are expected to pull it all together. In this way um, I kind of see case management or case managers as narrators of someone someone else's story or perhaps um, maybe even an architect or um, or a designer for it for a new building, or I was talking to someone recently who said case management sounded like project management that they do, where they somehow have to create a vision that works and has the buy in of everyone else. Whatever it is, it's a really important role. Is case management and um, ensuring that you've got people who appreciate that in the teams around the clients is massively important. I'm pretty sure you know that already, because you're a personal injury professional yourself, and possibly even a case manager. But I'm often struck by how important a role it is, and yet how there is no clear framework for sort of to help us design or guide or project project manage or narrate um, our client's stories, and how we can then pull it together for the legal folk to do their thing, which is endorsed by the client, the family. And of course, a professional network. So, the question for me, uh, for you uh, today is um, how do you make sense of all the information that you have for your client? And goodness knows, in personal injury, there is just so much information. And how do you pull all of that information together into a coherent story that others can use helpfully and that is actually therapeutic for your client? How do you case conceptualise? What do you do to underpin the clinical work that you do? Do you use a framework or a model? Does it apply to individual clinicians? Or does it lend itself more to kind of that team, multi-systemic view? If you're a case manager, does it help you manage? If you're a treating therapist, does it help you connect with other people on the team, including the clients and the family? From a psychological perspective, without a story, we can often feel like we're doing something but not sure, you know, we're not really sure what we're doing or whether we're achieving within it. Or we might not ever feel massively confident about the role we're in. A coherent picture for ourselves and those we're working with that hangs together nicely is core to the process of working in litigation and the medico-legal world at large. But as I say, I've not really come across any commonly used tools in the field. I'd be really curious to know if you have and, you know, what it might be. It's been it's an issue for me, I think, overall. Um, And it has been for a little while. And I'm really determined to share with you what I've got from my explorations and what we're now doing uh, as a service. Working with a case conceptualization story or, as we psychologists say, formulation, is kind of like... A room in a house that looks and feels nice, like when you work in a nice company in which you feel like safe because colleagues hang well together and there's a sort of sense of everyone knows what's going on. It brings to mind to me the idea of feng shui um, in a room. It's kind of like we're trying to achieve that for our clients by surrounding them with straightforwardness, clarity, in a sense that generally everything is consistent and possibly even predictable. And enough of all of those good things to feel for them to feel confident in their rehabilitation. Alternatively, the room that is messy, that doesn't have any um, of that feng shui and is disorganised with no clearly defined area that um, can make clients feel, I guess, confused, uncomfortable and repelled, which is, of course, not conducive to rehabilitation. This is perhaps like... Being involved with professionals or in a service who haven't quite worked out what they're doing and aren't even clear about how things got to, how they got to, and are perhaps unsure that they can even do anything with what they've got. It will really feel quite unsafe, chaotic, pointless even for all concerned, not just the client. After all, we want to make sure we're doing the best we can for the client and their family and indeed supportive of the team around the client and the family. We're only as good, I guess, or we're only as fast as the slowest person. Um, and being able to kind of bring up um, everyone to the same level to, to, to create a balance is definitely um, something that is worth investing in. When I think about myself being a case manager or a treating psychologist, and certainly talking to colleagues in and out of my own service, I can see that the teams that have lower Uh, like lower retention in the care teams and where there's less effective communication amongst the MDT and um, where there is perhaps more client or family dissatisfaction with what's going on are the ones where the the room or the the system in which uh, they are working or being surrounded by is perhaps triggering some of those unhelpful reactions like feeling unsafe, lacking purpose or progress, etc. I guess in that sense, the feng uh, shui, fong shui even, um, is, is not quite right. I'm wondering if you can relate to this, if this is making sense. So I'm going to kind of run with that house analogy and see how far it takes me. So coming back to that room and, you know, what its function is will be linked to the premise of the building itself and the process by which the building is built, I guess. In other words, it'll only be, that room will only be as good as the planning and the design of the structure and the quality of the team around it. Almost, I would guess, regardless of how tricky the client might be. I guess it's just a thought. So applying what I think I know about house building, um, it starts off with the aims and the purpose and the function. And I guess this future vision of use and uh, wanting to make it as sustainable as possible in terms of future proofing, etc as well as making it efficient for the use. Because once all of that is right, and it takes a lot of people and a lot of their expertise and specialisms to get to that point of right, in inverted commas, because it then becomes a, a sort of consensual reference point for the whole project that everyone's kind of looking to. Sure, tweaks are made here and there. You know, new unexpected factors pop up and that means changing needs. Have to be sort of made as a team. So knock on effects are minimized or at least shared with the eventual house owner. So there's that shared understanding of what's going on. Everyone is brought along together. Basically, it's a map of what is being done. It's a a measure against which reality and quality is compared. And it's a theory that makes the best use of the multiple resources and how people will relate to and use the end product um, and of course how satisfied they will be with the end product and it has to just hang well together else there will be discomfort along the way and at the end there will be upset that will be expressed people will leave the project but might leave the project and the project might still finish but whether it's the best it could have been will depend on the quality of the plan and the designing and the fit of the people to the project as well as the project management to keep all the resource providers communicating, sharing, and feeling valued. I mean, in a nutshell, it's no small task at all. And I'm just curious as to whether any of this rings true for you. You know, am I making a bit of a mountain out of a molehill here? And it might not be that it rings true all the time for you, but it might be that this, this is something that does happen or has happened to you. I mean, I personally would hazard a guess to say that it probably has, happens more often than, um, than not, simply because, as I said before, there, there isn't really a common language or process um, in the personal injury world that we use. Um, and that's where I want to come in with my psychology stuff. I mentioned before that us psychology types call this Sort of story building and, and meaning making process, formulation, clinical formulation. Some call it um, case conceptualization, um, but um, to use the term formulation is, is familiar to me. So I'll, I'll kind of stick with that um, as much as possible. And what formulation does is that it underpins the entire work we do, it guides the clinical work, it supports the interventions, it even helps identify the best resources, be it personnel be it equipment to use, um, it can and should be tweaked. It illustrates the hopes and the barriers and it helps us to do more of what works and less of what doesn't. And it also promises to include everyone, which forms the basis of a strong therapeutic relationship with everyone. And if you've been a follower of this podcast um, from the start, you'll know that Therapeutic Alliance is what I advocate as the most important focus of any personal injury work, regardless of role. And it is for the um, professional network as much as it is for the clients and families. So making sense is key to therapeutic alliance and to a formulation-led practice. Um, And I believe this is the key to a successful case-managed case, which maximises rehabilitation and litigation outcomes. So a little bit about formulation. So, the British Psychological Society describes psychological formulation as a collaborative process between a client and a psychologist to summarise, explain, and make sense of one's difficulties. It allows for the pointing out of resources, um, pointing out of strengths and positives, and identifies areas of challenge or risk. Um, The psychologist would use this understanding to work out how to facilitate recovery and rehabilitation. It's a bit like having a jigsaw that has been thrown around and as long as the pieces are scattered, distress remains. So under the guide of a psychological formulation, the client, family, psychologist and any other professionals on the team can help piece a coherent picture together, minimising distress and optimising outcomes. And just like in a complex or one of those larger jigsaw puzzles, perhaps with those tiny little pieces, it can be tough starting, of course. Um, but after some time, there is opportunity to build a flow, and everyone can know what they're doing and can make contributions. There suddenly becomes a song sheet, and everyone can be directed to sing the same tune in the right way. And I guess there's kind of a, a sense of harmony. So, in case you're interested in where where it comes from. Psychological formulation became more strong in the 1950s when Kelly and other psychotherapists did not feel like the medical model uh, to illness, especially emotional distress, was adequately captured by terms like depression and anxiety and so on and so forth. So while medicine allowed for a biological or a sort of physical explanation or understanding of the observed symptoms, it didn't feel like there was any credence or regard for what we now believe is important. Nurture, um, adverse experience, trauma, environmental factors to name a few. In other words, aspects of life that reside around us externally to us, not to mention the internal factors that can make change like cognitive process and behaviours, were completely ignored. This, this idea snowballed and in the following decades, there was a marked revolution in how distress was made sense of, and it continues today thanks to some hardcore psychologists. Notable early works include that of Shapiro, Isaac, Meyer, um, and their influence led to what I'm sure you'll probably know as the subbiopsychosocial biopsychosocial model, um, which was pioneered by Engel in the late 70s, which saw biology, social and psychological factors as potentially equally influencing how illness comes about. And this was huge for us as non-medical and holistic practitioners in how we currently understand physical and mental health. It's also massively political because it challenges the dominance of and and the power held by the medical model, which is, of course, not so uh, well received. But More recently, Butler's paper in the late 90s and Mary Boyle and Lucy Johnston's work in the noughties has absolutely revolutionised how psychologists think about making sense of distress in a way that does not lose the client or the family focus, but also brings in teams' meaning-making. It manages power and threat struggles and more likely will allow for the clinical jobs that we're all here to do together actually happen with the best results. It's really focused on collaboration and, ba- and it's balancing, very balancing. Now, as you would imagine, there are lots of different ways to do formulation or case conceptualization, And actually, the fact that there are so many different ways to do it um, was highlighted only even four years ago, despite you know, a history of several years of formulation being considered you know, a really good way forward. Even up to four years ago, Upstel, a researcher, suggested that um, there almost formulation was in a bit of a state of crisis because of the inconsistent definitions and the implementation of what effectively is a fundamental skill. For me, in the personal injury work we do, it's about developing a multi-systemic perspective of the story, which is client, family, care, therapy, legal perspectives on a number of different aspects of the client's needs. Thinking about their life story, thinking about neurological impairments, thinking about medication, physical health, mobility social environment, family priorities, personality attachment styles which really come into play with um, care teams, mental health like trauma, anxiety, legal position or the experiences of the legal process and communication ability of course. These bits of jigsaw to use that analogy again are then made sense of by relating them to agreed integrated rehabilitation goals within an Understanding of some fixed aspects like legal procedures and financial restrictions. The process behind using a formulation-led approach in personal injury work is a whole other episode in itself. After all, having a formulation a model of formulation to work to does not necessarily mean that we can use it effectively and how to tweak it and make it fit, Um, not just the team around, but the, the client. Is, um, like I say, it's, a, it's a, you know, a whole consideration in itself. But suffice it for now to say that it is not unusual to see formulation based approaches being used in many inpatient NHS and private sector settings, actually, because it, it works. And I absolutely love that. So this isn't new, actually, in the personal, in- uh, you know, it's not new to be used in that um, residential type of setting in a multi team approach um, bringing in different perspectives it's kind of um, tried and tested actually and so it makes perfect sense to try and bring this in more and more in the personal injury world a world that is also dominated by the medical model you know we all love our labels and diagnosis in this field and While diagnoses and labels are absolutely necessary and relevant for the physical injuries incurred by our clients, the impacts and adjustments and certainly the support and goal setting we subsequently do within the rehabilitation model or the rehabilitation process is absolutely rooted in a formulation ideology. I'm sure we would recognise wholeheartedly that we are holistic and biopsychosocially oriented. Um, And so being able to underpin that within a, a framework that is tried and tested is really important, I think. And actually, I really think it's going to shape the future of case management. As a psychology trained case manager, I do root my practice in formulation, whether as a treating psychologist or as a case manager. And um, I will do another episode on the formulation um, that we use. But for now, my team and I are really happy to talk with anyone who kind of wants to know about a bit more about the benefits of formulation. And if you want to know, um, you know, how it could be used and what value it is, we will be offering some training on it in due course. And our training in formulation that we've done so far, which has been more tailored to the services that have requested the training, has got some really good feedback, which is awesome. But if you would like to talk to us about your teams and using a sort of formulation framework, you know, do feel free to contact our office on admin at psychworks.org.uk. So I ask again, what do you use in your practice? with personal injury clients? Does it work? Does it address the complexities of the system in which your client resides? If you're looking for something more applicable or something that has decades of evidence-based support, I'd really like to invite you to consider the idea of formulation. It may just revolutionise your way of working, or at least help you know if you're doing the right thing and allowing those around you in your professional network around your client to be at least looking in the same direction as you. All right, I'll stop there, but be in touch if any of this resonates. And so till next time, bye for now. Before you go, if you enjoyed the episode today, I'd really appreciate it if you could rate it on whatever platform you're listening on and share and like on your social media profiles Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow and to be a continuous resource for all. And if there's any topic you wish for us to cover, please drop us a line on our website. Thank you so much for all your support.